I'm Michael Pauley, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, June 24th, the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. And usually we release these podcasts on a Tuesday, but uh, today uh, is a special one uh, for reasons that may be obvious to many listeners and that we had uh, a earthquake of a decision coming out this morning from the Supreme Court in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, as many of you know, this is the case that concerns the pro-life law passed in the state of Mississippi, which many observers thought provided the Supreme Court a good opportunity to revisit its decisions in Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And uh, that indeed is what has happened. The court has used this opportunity to overturn those precedents. And this is, at the risk of stating the obvious, huge news. Um, so I'm very glad that uh, I'll, we'll be joined today by Chris Motes, who is in Sioux Falls. I'm broadcasting from Rapid City. Uh, the decision, including the majority opinion and the dissent and some of the concurring opinions, I believe, weighs in in excess of 200 pages. So. I'd love to tell you that Chris and I have read through every word of it. We have not, but uh, we have read enough to know the the general impact of what uh, has happened this morning. So, Chris, maybe just at the outset, uh, you could just walk through some of the highlights of uh, what this decision says. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, just from the outset, uh, it's largely like we expected it to be. Of course, um, uh, what was it, back in May, we saw this leaked draft of the Alito uh, majority is what we saw at that point in time. Um, and we, at that point in time, we didn't exactly know where the other justices were going to be. But uh, when it was leaked, it was leaked that I think there were five votes with him. So we were still unsure. I mean, I think everybody predicted that the three dissenting votes would be the dissenting votes. What we didn't know at that point in time was whether, in fact, this would end up remaining the majority decision. Um, of course, it's it's not over until it's over, until it's uh, published from the bench, which they did this morning. But um, uh, perhaps the biggest question in everybody's mind was going to be, where's, where's the chief justice going to fall? So as we saw the decision as it was published uh, this morning, um, first note that it's 213 pages long uh, with the okay. ma majority, uh, with the chief's concurring opinion, and then with the dissents. Um, and so as kind of was... Uh, expected by many, the five justices that signed on to the majority that was written by Alito um, included, um, so it was Alito, Thomas, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and uh, Barrett. Those were the five that signed on. And then there were a couple of those that also wrote their own concurrences. And I'm looking here now, I believe it is, I know Thomas wrote one, and that's one I just, I've had a swamped day. I haven't gotten around to, to reading it yet, but I really want to read Thomas's uh, and see what ha he has to say. Uh, many are expecting that um, just in terms of the jurisprudence and, and setting the stage for what future jurisprudence looks like, not only is Alito's, what, what Alito has written important, but whatever Thomas has to say will also be important. 
Uh, and then there's one other concurrence too that I'm I don't quite have at the tip of my tongue. Uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Thank Justice you. Justice Kavanaugh wrote one. Yep. Thank you. So those um, they were in the majority, but they uh, justices are also entitled to write a concurring opinion, which which those two did. Um, next, we've got uh, the Chief Justice Roberts who concurred in judgment. It means, okay, I mean, I'm agreeing with the conclusion that you've reached here, um, but I've got some different rationale that I want to unpack. So that's what he did. Um, He says in his own words that he would have reached a a so-called more measured judgment. He wouldn't have gone as far as they did, um, but he did agree. So the the question that they granted certiori on was, um, can we actually... um, can we actually restrict uh, abortion pre-viability? And he agreed with the court. No, viability is a standard that doesn't make sense. It has never made sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, it's it's actually not protected. Um, so it's really important actually that he's concurred in the, in the judgment. So what this means is that for the future, if there are future attacks against this particular decision, it means that we now have essentially a six-three decision. Even though he didn't join the majority, he's yes. he's, he's joined that joined him in judgment. Um, but it it would mean that uh, in the event of future appointments to the bench by any by the current president, the, in the event of other resignations or deaths or any future presidents, it just means that there's that that little extra buffer actually. Um, you know, uh, because you look at, you know, 5-4 majority, it's really your razor thin with only just one justice. 6-3 gives you a little more of a cushion. Um, so it, it's it's seen as just having a greater presidential uh, staying power, if you will, with the, the chief justice writing that concurrence. And then, of course, um, the the three in dissent, uh, not uh, unexpected, Sotomayor, Kagan, and help me out, Breyer, um, is still sitting on the bench. So that's um, kind of, that's that's the overview. And if you look at the... Um, if you look at the syllabus, so they kind of, the way they tee it up is they kind of write this just encapsulated summary um, right at the beginning of the decision. And that's what all of us did this morning. I mean, the uh, the real like con law scholars and pros, they obviously went and read the whole decision immediately. Those of us that, um, you know, have a, a other, other things to do in our day. I haven't gotten to it yet, but everybody, we all went and read the syllabus and here's what it says. Uh, first page of the syllabus. And this is the money line. The constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected rep- representatives. So what it has done uh, is it has returned us to the state of affairs that existed prior to January of, uh, of 1973, meaning the states have the authority to, to, to regulate um, uh, abortion. Now, one of the reasons it's important that, that it's so explicit when it, sa- it says Roe and Casey are overruled, for a state like South Dakota, we've got a tr- what they call a trigger law on the books. And that trigger law, it dates back to 2005. Um, it says, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it right here in front of me, but from memory, paraphrasing, it says, when the Supreme Court provides that the um, that the the states shall have the right to regulate abortion, essentially, when the Supreme Court overrules Roe versus Wade, um, our strict law kicks into effect and makes uh, it, it it criminalizes uh, abortion. That's really important. Uh, what the decision says here that it's so explicit because you could have imagined, and some of us were fearing, a decision that was not explicit. 
yes. um, is maybe articulating a new standard that's not exactly viability, or maybe it's upholding the Mississippi law, but not directly overturning Roe. Um, it maybe permits some restrictions, but not all. It didn't do that. Uh, yeah, thanks be my, to God. Yeah. My biggest fear going into this, Chris, was that we would not even have a, a clear majority opinion, but some kind of a plurality uh, type ruling where you know, you, you you don't actually have an unambiguous uh, result coming out of it. And that was not the case. And uh, thanks be to God for that. So um, so you mentioned the, uh, the trigger law, and I just wanted to uh, use this opportunity to point out the governor, Governor Kristi Noem, uh, issued a press release today um, that uh, I'll just read the, uh, the the first line. It says, today, in response to the United States Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, Governor Kristi Noem and leaders in the South Dakota legislature jointly announced plans for a special session later this year to save lives and help mothers impacted by the decision. And then the release goes on a bit later to point out, uh, as you said, Chris, South Dakota's trigger law uh, found in South Dakota Code of Law 22175.1 provides that as of today, all abortions are illegal in South Dakota, quote, unless there is appropriate and reasonable medical judgment that performance of an abortion is necessary to preserve the life of the pregnant female, close quote. So uh, so that is um, just something that... Uh, uh, we, we, we can just be so thankful for that, that, that we are blessed to live in a state uh, where the legislature passed this. I, I want to say back in 2005, if, uh, if memory serves, but don't quote me on that. And so uh, as of today, uh, it is not legal uh, to do an elective abortion in the state of South Dakota. And that is just a, uh, uh, an amazing achievement and uh, so grateful for that. So, um, so just uh kind of uh, thinking ahead. Uh, so the governor and the legislative leaders um, have agreed uh, to a special session. Um, but, you know, what if people say, well, we have a trigger law. Uh, why do we even need to go into special session? What would be the point of that? So any thoughts, reflections on that, Chris? Yeah, there, there are a number of things that um, I think would be important uh, during a special session. One of the things that that we need to make sure that we're doing is that um, there aren't, aren't any loopholes. Let's let's actually take a, a good hard look at our language to make sure that um, it is appropriately um, criminalizing what ought to be uh, criminalized. Um, it, we also may want to take a look at at, th at things like advertising. You know that we're not going to be mm -hmm. at, you know out of state advertising for abortions because one of the things that's really important to remember. Um, is that Roe versus Wade doesn't make abortion illegal everywhere. And, you know, I think this kind of gets lost um, in the weeds maybe with um, it, where we think, oh, and, you know, Roe's gone, great, abortion's illegal. No, it's returned it to the states. Yeah. Um, so th there's going to be a hodgepodge of different states doing different things. One of the things that we've already heard about, including from some companies that have a presence in South Dakota, is that they're going to be paying for their employees to travel to um, access uh, abortion, which is really, I mean, just what a sad thing to yeah. um, to financially facilitate pitting the pitting of mothers against their children. Um, yeah. 
So that's, you know, we, we obviously want to prevent that. Uh, we don't want that to happen in South Dakota to South Dakota mothers, to South Dakota children. But even if we're just like thinking through, how do we care for women mm-hmm. and children? How are we caring yeah. for, for families, moms and dads that are in difficult uh, situations? How do we actually enact a pro-family policy that um, is, you know, thinking in new and creative ways um, about how we really craft a pro-life culture. It's not just yeah. about eliminating abortion, which is fundamentally like that's got to happen, right? It's a, but it's, yeah. a, it's a both and. Yeah. Um, so I guess in summar- to summarize, we can strengthen our trigger to make sure it, it really is doing what we need it to do without, uh, without any loopholes. Um, we can ensure equal protection of all of our laws for every single human being, including those in the womb. Um, take a look at, at telemedicine, make sure that that's not going to be creeping into our state uh, with, without our knowledge, without uh, due safeguards in the law. Um, advertising, uh, ensuring corporations aren't funding abortions and, and promoting travel out of state. Um, and then, uh, you know, something the legislature does from time to time, which is just a really, it, it uses its voice, not necessarily in a lawmaking way, but really in a way that expresses the will of the people that it represents. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that uh, the legislature could do in a special session is uh, some sort of resolution that's calling on the National Congress to actually mm-hmm. act uh, yeah. in a way that is protecting all life from yeah. the moment of conception and supporting families. Uh, who need yeah. it. So I think those are all variety of things that we might see. Yeah. And it seems like we need a, a whole paradigm shift. Uh, and I think about how much government money over the last few decades has flowed to Planned Parenthood uh, for the express purpose of destroying unborn life. And I find myself asking, you know, why, why couldn't we see multiple states going in the opposite direction where they're actually approving, say, I'm just you know shooting from the hip here, but a block grant program uh, for the purpose of benefiting pro-life pregnancy resource centers? You know, why yeah. not? After, after all the subsidies that we have given to you know, the culture of death, why not actually use some of that money to subsidize life instead? So, Chris, there's an interesting, uh, I mean, there's so many fascinating quotes in this uh, majority opinion, but I wanted to give your thoughts on, on just one of them. And it, it, it has to do that. This is actually found on page uh, 68 of the majority opinion. And it's just a brief kind of reflection where justice Alito writes about the uh, failure of these previous precedents of, of Roe and Casey to actually do what they promised they would do at the time, which is settle the national debate over abortion. So uh, this is uh, what Justice Alito writes on that, referring to Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. He says, neither decision has ended debate over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, in this case, 26 states expressly ask us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Right. Whatever influence the court may have, whatever influence the court may have on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise quote unquote 
raw judicial power, close quote. And I I, I love that people who have studied Roe versus Wade will recognize that the, the reference to raw judicial power at the end of that quote is quoting from Justice Byron White's uh, very famous dissent in the original Roe versus Wade case of 1973. But I, I just was thinking about that, Chris, in the context of the media coverage. And we expected this. This is no surprise. But the, the, the media coverage, um, you know, much of it hostile to what the court has done is trying to make it look like what the court has done is some radical thing. You know, it's, it's overturned this federal constitutional right to abortion, when in reality, this opinion actually uh, reflects a sense of judicial modesty, you know, a sense of the real uh, limits on judicial power and saying that it this court will not resolve this question. The people's elected representatives can. So we're definitely in the and we knew this would happen. We're in the full scale battle to define what this decision really means. Any just some thoughts on that? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it is a modest decision to suggest that this is radical. Uh, here's what's radical, Michael. What is radical is that there are six nations in the entire world that permit abortion through all nine months of life, right? All, exactly. all nine months in the, in the womb. China, North Korea, the United States of America, and three others. Are we, I mean, how radical is that? That we're, we're up there with these, I mean, communist dictatorships, if I may, that um, are, really have no respect for human rights or human dignity. That's radical. And so I think it is, as you described it, very modest to actually return it to uh, the people's elected rep- representatives. It was a, an exercise in raw judicial power. Um, even the late Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, she recognized uh, many, I mean, uh, m- m- many sorts of, you might call them liberal or progressive law professors and judges recognized that it was not a well-reasoned decision. It was entirely unnecessary. Yeah. It was heavy-handed. It provoked um, a, just a greater distrust and disrespect for the judiciary. <laughs> Yeah. And um, that's not, to, frankly, that's not to say that legislatures always get it right either. You know, a majority, a 50% plus one vote in a legislature, they can do wrong things also. Yeah. But, but at the very least, there's a greater respect for the constitutional order and structure of a dialogue of the people's representatives uh, themselves yeah. reasoning through difficult and contentious issues and doing yeah. so in a way that is at its heart relational which is, yeah. you know, that's the the great need of our country moving forward is that we can, uh, God willing, come Holy Spirit, help us to just uh, bind up the wounds of our brothers and sisters. And um, I mean, we, we, we can be happy and pleased and, and grateful yeah. for this wonderful decision. But yeah. at the same time that there are, there are many people that are angry and will be angry about this decision. Yeah. There are fellow citizens yeah. Um, you know, we got to stay in, in relationship and that's how we do it in, in our great country is we, um, the, the legislature is, is the place in which we have these, these discussions. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right, Chris, that we, we know already that some legislatures uh, have gotten this wrong with the very pro-abortion laws that we've seen pass in states like uh, New York, for example, uh, laws passed in anticipation of this decision coming out today. But of course, the difference is, is that when elected officials make mistakes and they do, we at least have a solution. You right. know, there, there, there is a solution. And I'm reminded of that old uh, cliche that says that a uh, people gets no better government than they deserve. You know, uh, there's some truth to that. And, right. uh, 
so yes, uh, elected officials can get this wrong, but at least in that case, we know how to fix it. But it, in the case of uh, the judicial uh, intervention, where the courts just rip that authority out of the hands of elected officials, what recourse do you have? You you simply right. have no recourse. And so, right. so this is, um, yeah, this is a amazing uh, breakthrough, you know, to allow the democratic process to actually work on this issue. So um, any other thoughts, Chris, just on the decision itself and uh, anything else that maybe stood out to you as you were skimming through 200 pages uh, of this? Oh, golly. You know, just um, it was, if I can maybe just offer a personal reflection, and I know, Michael, you've been working in the pro-life movement for for decades, Um, not just on the decision itself, but just my maybe to just share my own experience of the day was a bit of, of course, um, I, I, I see some happiness and some delight, but also a sense of a uh, solemnity and yeah. uh, of the magnitude. I mean, I had the sense of, of, you know, these big moments of like, will I remember where I was when I heard? Uh, I yeah. think I will. I think I will yeah. remember where I was when I heard, but also the sense of um, the task that is yet ahead. You know, yeah. um, I think the in the bishop's statement that they put out today, they quoted Abraham Lincoln um, with malice towards none, charity towards all. I really think that, um, you know, slavery was this great wound of our country and we still experience, um, you know, racism in, in some ways. This wound is not entirely gone from us. I think we can say that abortion is is also a great wound of our country that we truly will need to beg the Lord to give us um, malice, malice towards not in charity for all. So I'm, you know, just kind of yeah. wanting to um, move into the future with a, a sense of purpose to act rightly, yeah. but also to, um, to do so with love for all of my countrymen, even yeah. those with whom I disagree. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, our, our listeners, uh, may want to uh, take a look at the statement that the Catholic bishops of South Dakota released today uh, uh, in response to the decision. Uh, You can find that at uh, sdcatholicconference.org. And if you just look under, um, I believe it's news or or statements, uh, you'll you'll see that there. Um, But uh, I won't read the whole statement, but uh, uh, since uh, Chris... uh, referenced it there, the the bishops used those very words uh, from Abraham Lincoln uh, from the second inaugural address. I'll just read this, this last paragraph. They write, as we work for justice, we must never lose sight of the spiritual nature of the battle before us. Let us pray earnestly for the conversion of those who fail to respect the dignity of human life and for those who have been wounded by abortion. Let us also pray that an authentic culture of life will be built that deploys creative solutions to help children, women, and men flourish as God has intended. May all our actions to protect life be carried out in the words of Abraham Lincoln with malice toward none, with charity for all. And mm. and like you said, Chris, I, I do think that's just the absolutely the uh, thought that we should have in our head as as we move forward is that uh you know we obviously have opponents uh on this issue some of them are bitter and some of them are angry and what i keep reminding myself is that some of the most 
powerful pro-life advocates that we've had in this movement have been converts from the other side. I'm thinking of people like uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who actually founded uh, the organization called NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League. It, it actually was initially was the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, and then they they changed their name later. But but this doctor who performed thousands of abortions and founded this organization actually uh, uh, converted and became uh, pro-life. Um, other other names come to mind, like Abby Johnson, who was uh, formerly a uh, uh, Planned Parenthood clinic director, very prominent pro-life convert. And so as we move forward, um, w- when we look at our uh, opponents on this issue, uh, some of them using rancorous uh, rhetoric, uh, we have to discipline ourselves to say each and every one of those men and women is a potential convert. And let's be winsome in our approach to them and uh, and winsome converts. So, um, and uh, Chris, any any closing thoughts before we wrap this up today? You know, just um, for myself, just uh, begging for the Lord's grace, you know, just it's, yeah. it's really a, a moment of prayer too. As you let us off, it, this happened on the solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus, yes. this burning heart of love for the world. He desires to heal us. He can do it. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I personally, I'm going to, I'm going to beg him. Um, yeah. yeah. Heal us Lord. Yeah. Well, uh, we are obviously going to be talking about this decision uh, some more in the, you know, this isn't the last word that we'll have to say about Dobbs because uh, you know, as we've talked about um, the majority opinion is, is so rich in content, but then we also have these uh, uh, concurring opinions uh, by justice Thomas, justice Kavanaugh uh, that, that we really want to unpack and and look at in the days and weeks ahead. So I, I am sure this, decision uh, will be a frequent topic in our our upcoming podcast, but we did want to get this one out uh, today uh, while the issue is uh, so much in the forefront of everyone's minds. And so, um, yeah, just in closing, um, everybody uh, pray hard. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, commanded us in the gospel to pray for our enemies. And, uh, you know, right now uh, they are angry. And so we really need to be uh, be prayer warriors at this moment uh, in lifting them up uh, in our thoughts and prayers. And so uh, pray hard. And uh, until next time, live well. <laughs>